Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. I'm very pleased to introduce you today to Dr. Irene Maroon Tarazi. Dr. Tarazi is a board certified periodontist based in Miami, Florida. She was the first and youngest vice president of the American Dental Association. She's had many accomplishments, including her recent awards as the 2018 Florida Dentist of the Year and the 2017 National Lucy Hobbs Project Award, Women to Watch. Dr. Maroon Tarazi is an adjunct faculty member at Nova Southeastern University and the University of Florida Halil Dental Clinic. She owns a private practice in Miami, Florida. She serves in many leadership positions within organized dentistry, including board member of the FDI section, Women Dentists Worldwide, Board of Trustee of the Florida Dental Association, and the Academy of Periodontology Women in Periodontics Task Force. She's also a past member of the ADA New Dentist Committee, an alumna of the ADA Institute for Diversity and Leadership, and a speaker for the ADA Success Program. She has served as president of the South Florida District Dental Association and treasurer of the FDA Political Action Committee. Originally from Venezuela, Dr. Maroon Tarazi studied dentistry at the University Central Venezuela. She completed her postdoctoral training at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where she earned her certificate in periodontology and the Master of Science degree in 2003. Dr. Maroon Tarazi earned her dental degree from Nova Southeastern University. It is now my pleasure to bring you to my interview with Dr. Irene Maroon Tarazi. Irene, it's so great to see you and have you be with my audience today. I have been really looking forward to having this conversation with you. You've done so much in organized dentistry and you're an inspiration to many women that are out in the House of Delegates. So I can't wait for everybody to hear about your story. So without any further ado, if you could just tell us how you got into the field of dentistry and then we'll do some questions after that. Absolutely. Well, I think that my story is similar to others. Uh, my mom happens to be a general dentist. So I grew up in a house where, you know, I would see my mom going to work every day, working with her patients, and I would spend an afternoon here and there at her office. But it was, I don't know, maybe I follow into her footsteps. I remember that I wanted to be an architect, that I wanted to do things always with my hands. And for some reason, when I was already in high school, I said, you know what, I really like the, the, not just the dentistry, but the fact that you can be your own boss, have your practice and have that independence. So I think that I grew up with a mother that worked every day and I just saw myself doing the same. Awesome. So you, you went right from high school to college, knowing what you wanted to do and then right into dental school. My, my story is a little bit different because I was born and raised in Venezuela and I went to dental school straight out of high school to a five-year dental program in, in Venezuela. So basically, I graduated very young. I think that I was 22 years old at that time. And I decided that be, 
because, you know, I wanted to improve myself. I applied to several programs here in the U.S. to do my dental specialty in periodontics. And I actually came to the States and then obtained my uh, master's degree in perio at Chapel, North Carolina. And at that time, politically, the situation was not the best in my home country. And I remember that my father told me, why don't you do something else? Study a little bit more. And I went back to dental school after being a periodontist. And I did three years at Nova Southeastern University while I was teaching and obtaining my American dental degree. So I did it backwards, basically. It was uh, not the typical. Unbelievable. That's a great story. Yeah, I, I started practicing in 2003. But basically, it just took me, you know, six years to finish all my, my, my degrees and all the necessary things. Yeah. So you, you settled in, in Florida, is that correct? Right. At that time, I have to say that I was single and I wanted to be closer to my family and Florida seemed to be very attractive. I speak Spanish and I just, you know, wanted to be closer to, to my family at that time. And, and Nova was the perfect fit. Excellent. Now, did they move from Venezuela to the United States or are they still in Venezuela? Now they are here, but I have been here also 20 years. So yeah, with time, you know, after I had my children, yes, my, you know, your parents want to be close and, and yes, they're here. Oh, that's so nice. That's, that's wonderful news. Absolutely wonderful news. So you started a practice, I'm assuming, or did you join a practice? I did join, I, I did it all. I work as a traveling periodontist. Uh, I think that, you know, a, a day or two a week while I started, I joined actually uh, a practice as an associate with two periodontists that were established in the area. And I also actually joined a, a corporate office back then. I had basically two days here, two days there, and I was traveling because I needed to find my home. And I wanted to, you know, that gave me the opportunity to be exposed to all the practice models to say it in that in, in such a way and at the end I decided to stay as an associate with the two periodontists and I stayed with them for eight years so one of them retired and then x y and c things just didn't work out and I decided to open my own so I have been a solo practitioner for the past eight years very good so tell us, um, so did you start the practice from scratch? I did. I did. And I have to say that it was a little bit scary at that time. But you know what? I regret not doing it sooner. So it worked out. It's great at the beginning. You know, my husband was also studying at that time and I was working. So as soon as he finished with his residency and he started practicing, I told him it's my turn. I want to open my own and, and you know what, now it's your turn to support me while I get started. And, and it happened. It happened quickly. You know, I, I really, I'm glad that I took that decision. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. I'm so glad to hear that you did that because so many women, especially, um, in fact, I think I shared before the podcast started that, you know, um, there's so many women in, in dental school today that don't have the confidence to do that. And we'll talk more about that later. But 
I think that's important to understand that even though it was scary, you still did it anyway and everything was fine. I think that that it's the key is that we make these things into more than what they really are. And they're not as bad and not as hard as we make them out to be in our mind. No, they're not. I think that we just need to step out of our comfort zone and just do it and not look back and just, you know, take the risk and commit. And we work hard. We went into school. We did it so we can do it again. It's not that complicated. Absolutely. So tell us how you got into organized dentistry, because I know your path through organized dentistry has been stellar and it would be nice to share that with the audience. Well, when I was starting to practice, I was living in Miami, but practicing in um, Fort Lauderdale. So I decided to, to join my local affiliate and, and I started attending the meetings. But again, you know, everybody uh, knows each other and they, they're happy to meet their friends. So at the beginning, I was kind of an outsider and I brought a friend along and I continued to go. And, and one day it was funny because somebody was saying, you know, we're very concerned. Where are the younger dentists? They're not coming. Any suggestions? And I, it was like my second or third meeting and I raised my hand and I said, you need to be more welcoming. That would be nice because, you know, we're new and we don't know anybody. And it's funny, but it was it. I think that immediately they, I guess, maybe realized that I was outspoken and I could bring them some ideas and and they recruited me you know we need your help come and join us and and that was it that was really what it happened they they just wanted the insight the perspective of the younger dentist and I think that that's that's how it all started well and then since then basically one thing to you know I continue to volunteer to help and and one thing led to the other one and you start locally and then you keep going from there. Um, we have an issue, maybe we don't say no. <laughs> so you keep getting involved in, in more and more projects and, and you enjoy them and, and it's fun because you know it's fun to work with, with these people and with the better men or the better men of our profession. So you get involved, you get engaged basically, so. Absolutely. Now you went through your uh, local leadership, then your state leadership, and then to the ADA. How, tell us a little bit about that journey. Actually, um, in Miami, we have a, a local chapter. Besides being, besides having the local component, so I, I started at that level, the grassroots level, with you know the Miami Greater Miami District. And then I went to the more local chapter, which is the South Florida component. And I became actually president of, of our component. And I was remember pregnant at that time. And for some reason, I, I got in the ADA's news, I was reading it and I saw that they had just opened something called the Institute for Diversity and Leadership. But at that time you needed to be you need to have at least five years of experience. And I remember that I hadn't been in practice for five years yet. So I waited and then I applied and I got accepted. So that was my first interaction with the ADA. I think that the Institute was wonderful. It was like, you know, those leadership classes that you get, that you're craving, that you want, uh, classes in negotiation skills, things like that, that they really helped me a lot back then. 
and then I became basically um, met my trustee at that time. And, and again, he was telling me, so what do you think that we should be differently? And, and I, I gave him some possibilities, ideas. And he told me, you know what, maybe you should consider serving at some point in the new dentist committee at the at the ADA level and pointed me also because I was the youngest of the group the one who met the criteria and I was actually on my fourth year on the new dentist committee term because you when they appoint you you serve for for that length of time and I remember that we were all discussing that the ADA needed you know the perspective of the younger dentists that you know how could we do to have more voices at the table of the board of trustees and at that point and I have to throw her on us Carol Summerhay said you know Irene why don't you consider maybe running for the vice presidency position would you and I think that you know sometimes we don't think of those things but you get the little push of the person that they see that maybe you can do it. And you know what? I said, why not? I see your point. We have been fighting for four years here that we want to be sitting at the table. So maybe if I do it, more people will follow. So that could be a situation for, for us to replicate in the future. And that's how I decided to, you know, to basically give it a try and see if I would get elected. You, and you did fabulously. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us about, you know, the experience of being on, on the ADA podium and, and sitting in the board of trustees meetings and, and finding out all the, you know, intimate details behind the scenes, things that, that everybody's working on. I mean, there's so much going on at the ADA level all the time. No, I hear you. I think that most um, dentists don't even have an idea of how much do they work on our behalf? There's always something, you know, it's, it's a national organization. So there are things happening in so many states and regions that they have to deal with, solve, provide resources, solutions. So it is very busy. They're working really with, there's always something. There's never a dull moment in that board table, but uh, you know it's very enlightening. Um, they're they're wonderful. They're very bright, and I think that they're doing a great job. It's just you know it's a big country where so many dentists, and there's always you know either the government or or things that are threatening our profession. So you know somebody has to watch, cover your back basically. So I think that that's what they're doing, and they're doing a great job. Yeah, they sure are. And and anybody that didn't see what the ADA did over this past year in 2020 is just blind as far as I can, can see, because, you know, it's been amazing the amount of content that has come out, the amount of support that they have given to their members throughout all of this COVID craziness that, you know, I can't say enough about the ADA. I just think that it's a great organization, just a great organization. So tell us a little bit about the impact that that had on you professionally. Did, did you see that it was a great thing for you to be in organized dentistry at such a high level? Did it impact your practice at all? And, you know, just any kind of repercussions that you've had? Well, 
Initially, it did. You know, we, I served for a period of two years. And one of, the, of those two years, I was actually out of my practice for 45 business days. So, of course, that carries an impact in terms of, you know, your availability, your patience. But for some reason, you know, maybe I'm a solo practitioner and, and, and I was able to accommodate the schedule in such a way that it worked out. It worked out, but you know, I, I, I had to go to meetings and things of this. I basically didn't sleep in my bed for 60 days. Okay, so, but you know, you do it and, and you're enjoying it and you see that it's meaningful and basically you commit and you're doing it with, you know, a lot of happiness to put it this way. But it did have uh, an impact in the practice, of course. I think that uh, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to, to manage it. Uh, and I don't think it's impossible. I think that with a little bit of organization and establishing priorities, and I have two kids, it can be done. I have to admit that my mother helped me at home. So that's also how, you know, that's how you can make it happen as well. If you have a little bit of support, you need your, your support. It takes a village sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it does. We all need it. It was doable. Absolutely. It's doable. That's all I'm saying. And, and sometimes it doesn't have to be to that level of commitment, but I think that we all can do a little bit and participate and, and help. Well, just do what you can, right? With where you are in your, in your life. I, you know, all of us have been busy. Um, as young practitioners, we're busy setting up our practices. As older practitioners, you know, we're, we're busy, you know, trying to wind down. So we're trying to maximize our time there. But we're all busy. And I, there's never, it's just like having a baby. There's never a perfect time, right? Exactly. <laughs> you just do it. You just do it because you, you can't wait to hug that little baby. Anyway. Tell me um, the single best piece of advice you've gotten in your career. It could be somebody in dentistry. It doesn't have to be. Listen, I think that my father used to tell me, do not compare yourself with others. Compete with yourself. Um, he used to say it a little bit differently. You know, like invest in yourself and just mind your own business. And I think that that's really something that I want to still in my children because I thought that it was a great piece of advice growing up you always need to be better learn keep pushing yourself and don't look to the sides just focus on on you so I think that that was good advice and I still you know use it on a daily basis so I think that I would have to share that now me personally I heard that I was hearing, uh, I heard the other day, a, I think it was a TED talk and the speaker who was from Australia, who was winning an award said uh, something that, that I, I remember and I like it very much. And he, he basically said, you don't need to be an original. You need to, to be an improver, to be, to be, and do things differently and better. So I think that that one to me at this point in my life, it resonates a lot because, yeah, I mean, basically, let's try to do things better and, and you don't need to be the first one to do them. You just need to improve them. That's, that's really a good advice. Really good advice. Who's made the biggest impact on your life? Was it your parents? Because you sound like you're really close to your parents. Uh, I think that... Um, 
my parents, I mean, my mom has been always like to me, like my role model, simply because I see myself now at my age, kind of replicating what she did uh, when she was younger. She was involved in organized dentistry too. She used to teach uh, the dental school. So I find myself kind of mimicking a little bit her, her steps. So I, I have to understand that, yes, she caused a big impact in my life because I see myself now, you know, copying her, I guess, to, to put it this way. But I also see other, you know, other women now that, um, you know, professionally, women like Kathy O'Laughlin, Ka uh, Carol Sommerhays, Linda Neeson, you know, I, I see them now and I know that they're women who have broken the glass ceiling. They're, they're really inspirational, motivational. They have helped us all. And I think that, you know, they, they have caused an impact professionally. And, and in my clinic, I mean, in my office, I see some master clinicians doing these wonderful things that they push you basically to, to try to learn and be better every day for your patients. Absolutely. Now, are there any obstacles that you've had to overcome in dentistry that you found either in dental school or along the way? I think that many, many. I mean, I'm, I'm not from here. I'm from Venezuela and I have, I mean, I see myself now and with what gratitude, I see that I have accomplished, you know, many things. And, I'm, and I think that you just need to have the right mindset and obstacles can be overcome and you can just need to work hard for what you want and, and just, you know, do it. So I have had many, many obstacles that I think that I have successfully, you know, I think that I have taken a good, the opportunities that have presented to me, I have taken the risk, accepted them. And, and thankfully I, I look back and I'm living my American dream. So, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You seem to be extremely confident and it, it, I'm wondering if that was learned or if you were that way when you were younger, is it something that you've always had? I feel very honestly, like with age, I have become more confident. I think that, you know, it's something that you basically develop at the beginning, like everybody. And still I have my days that I second guess myself. Am I doing the right thing? You like overthink too much. And that, you know, takes away maybe the, the confidence, but you need to be fearless. Why not? It, it's not that why am I going to do this? It's like, why not? And take the risk. And I don't see, I think that, um, you know, it's something that it can be learned. That's all I'm saying. You just need to, you're very confident with many of the things that how you run your house and you become very confident the way you speak to your patients. So it's just a matter of, I need to give a speech, you know, just trust that you can give a good a good speech and it's gonna come it's gonna flow I remember that when I was applying to my period program back 20 years ago almost mm -hmm. I think now that I wasn't confident enough but I look back and I remember that I went to an ADA meeting and I remember that Jim Melanick was giving a, a lecture in one of the halls and I waited for him until he was done because I just had 
uh, interview in San Antonio and I couldn't basically meet with him because he was the AAP Academy uh, president that year and he was traveling a lot. And I basically waited until everybody was done asking him questions. And I said, Dr. Melanie, I was supposed to have an interview with you three days ago and you were trapped, but I'm here. Is it possible to you to interview me now? Listen, I'm, I'm running, I'm catching a plane, walk with me to my car and that will be your interview. And I walk with him. Wow, good for you. So now I think that I see that, I, yeah, maybe I have had the confidence all this time and basically you don't, you don't see it. But I think that we, have, we don't have anything to lose. I think that we need to be just go-getters and speak up, right? Speak up, ask the question. Don't be afraid. That's great. Who um, today really inspires you in dentistry? Well, because I'm back and more concentrated into my clinical practice. I, I, right now, I'm seeing these wonderful European master clinicians like, you know, Iñaki Gambarena and Sukeli and all these great perionage. And I get inspired by them. When I see uh, what they're able to do and, you know, it's, it's really inspiring and I want to just do it the same. So I, that's what I'm looking for right now in this stage of my life, basically. But as I said before, professionally, that's where I am right now. But I see very strong women like Maxine, like Carol, like, uh, Kathy and I'm like wow you know they have accomplished so much and that no I want to be them when I grow up basically right right that's great that's really great I think that that fuel of inspiration is what moves us forward right because your heart wants to go where it makes you feel so good and watching them makes us all feel good and they are extremely accomplished and not that you are not, not that, that many of us are not, but it just, it's, it's the fuel, it's the inspiration fuel that makes you move forward for that. That's great. That's great. What would be one thing that people would be surprised to know about you? Well, secretly, I'm a handyman. I'm the one doing everything around the house in terms of drilling, hanging, what you name it. I, I just like it, you know, let's go to uh, whatever, Ikea and assemble, that's me. And the kids watch me do it and, and my husband laugh at this point, but you know what? It takes the stress away, whatever I'm doing. It's like the arts and craft part of it. It's uh, part of my nature. So I love doing all those things. Now, uh, do you do contracting and, and build things? <laughs> Not to that, no, only, only at my, my house. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Okay. That's great. Now, have you ever had an aha moment where you realize, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I was supposed to be doing with my life? Well, I think that, you know, motherhood was a great, it's, it's, I think that your first personal real aha moment and professionally, I think that every time I finish a case with a patient, it is a small aha moment, but that brings you a lot of satisfaction and, and, you know, it's great. It's, it's what you love to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. When you're stressed, because we all know that this profession can be stressful. What's your favorite way to manage it? 
Well, I like to decompress and, you know, either take a long bath, walk around, you know, my, my, I live in a little island. So walking around the, the island, it's, it's very relaxing or going to the beach because I live in Miami. So those are, or occasionally having a glass of wine, it's okay to, to decompress. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with wine. Absolutely not. Secret pleasure of, of mine on a, <laughs> a regular basis. Absolutely. Um, do you have a motto or a mantra that you live by? You know, right now, I'm always like trying to remember, you know, internally, be fearless. Just do it. It's like the Nike commercial. Just do it. You know, sometimes we get stuck and we don't act and it takes us too long to take decisions. So right now, it's seriously just like, why not? Just do it. And I think that it just works. Now, you have a boy and a girl, I think, right? I do. Yeah. And, and so, you know, as a mom, you know, I wonder how you pass this along to your children, because I'm, I'm finding it as now as a grandmother, finding it fascinating to watch my daughter pass on some of this information to uh, her son and my future granddaughters coming in two weeks. So I, I'm extremely excited about that. But, you know, I'm just curious, how do you pass those those things on to your children? Well, especially with my daughter, I think that I'm trying to teach her to seriously be tough because I think that that's something that um, I'm teaching her to be smart, not that, you know, being beautiful, it's secondary. So I'm trying to, I'm not trying to say that I'm trying to raise her as a boy, but I'm really, really pushing her to be more confident and to speak up and to do all these things that we you know, that we know that sometimes it's just more challenging as women, because we are taught that you need to please, that you need to be a good girl. And I think that it's okay sometimes just to, you know, be stronger and be tougher and just, you know, so that's what I'm trying to instill in her. And him too, you know, I'm not trying to be so overly protective, like, are you hurt? Yeah, does it hurt? Are you, I mean, is it hurt that much that you're crying? Then don't cry. You know, I'm trying to really pass it along because I think that it will help them better in the future. I, oh my gosh, great, great advice. Great advice. Do you have a guilty pleasure or a secret dream that you want to share with the audience? Well, occasionally I have to say that my guilty pleasure involves watching uh, Netflix. Maybe I become... Uh, with uh, the right show, a binge watcher. <laughs> so <laughs> that's good. I'll say that you know there there have been some like Game of Thrones. I didn't watch it until like one of the last seasons, and then I couldn't stop watching it. <laughs> right, right. You get sucked right in. Yes, yes, very. And and it is a guilty pressure because it 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 you know steals my time, but it's enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. That's awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough for being here today, Irene. I know how busy you are. And I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart because, you know, women today need to know how important organized dentistry is and organized, you know, associations, whether you're a hygienist, an assistant, 
you know, it's important to become involved and it's important to raise your hand and say, yes, I volunteer because, you know, we need younger people coming in and inspiring us and continuing on this journey for us into the future. So thank you on behalf of all of them for your insights and uh, guidance, because I know that you've helped somebody today. So thank you. No, you're welcome. I want to convey the message that we really need more women involved, not just in organized dentistry, but in academics, as deans, as speakers. You know, we really, really want to see more women dentists everywhere. And, and, you know, I hope that you all can simply step up and, and help us, help the profession in any way you want. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.